it's over 9,000! Yeah, just put it. Yeah, no, no, yeah. Just take the body over, over, over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, hang on. Greetings, Super Elite Warriors, and welcome to Final Forum, a podcast for the discussion of all things Dragon Ball. I am your host, Jelly, an elite recruiting member of the Frieza Force, on a mission to find the best warriors from across the galaxy to join the greatest army of all time. Unfortunately, I am not joined by my co-host at this time. You see, after Bikini and I fought, and dueled to the death, I was left a gelatinous puddle, conscious of my surroundings but incapable of taking full form. Ultimately, I have pulled myself back together and I am slowly stabilizing, but Bikini is dead. A valued member of the Frieza Force has taken his body away just now, a charred husk. He will be autopsied and will learn more about his species physiology as well as the method used to infiltrate and control his mind. I weep for my co-host, and I regret to inform all of you that... Jelly? Jelly, can you hear me? Be... Be can't... No, it, it can't be. I'm picking you up on my scouter. Blast's supposed to throw me halfway across the planet. Listeners, my battle with Bikini has left me exhausted. Not only physically, but mentally as well. I'm imagining I can hear Bikini. Because you can hear me. In fact, I think I may be cracking under the mental stress of it all, and I have taken on Bikini's voice and personality to compensate. Dude, you can't be this obtuse. Obtuse? I watched them carry your dead body away. I'm clearly experiencing some sort of DID phenomenon here. Okay, first of all, not how DID works. Second, if you would have ever let me explain how I can always seem to die and then come back. I don't want to hear it anymore, recruit. Hey, wait a minute. What? Well, I'm clearly pretty good at this. All the time I spent mocking you behind your back has made my impression of you pretty good. I've even got that whiny note down pat. Whiny note? I can work with this. I'm trekking my way across the planet with no supplies, and you're having a psychotic break and you can work with this? Yeah, it'll be like you never died. Oh no, I definitely died. It's just that I also- Shush, 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 shush. Listen, shut up. I have an idea. Your ideas are almost always terrible, though. Not this one. 
Listeners, Final Forum is back on, and it's time for this week's topic of discussion. And as I talk to myself here, (laughs) we will be, I will be, uh, discussing episodes 46 through 49 of the Dragon Ball anime, which is in the general, we are firmly in the general blue saga now. Absolutely. Uh, the episodes are Bulma's Bad Day, Kame House Found, Deep Blue Sea, and Roshi Surprise. Yeah, four episodes where a lot happens, but also nothing happens. <laughs> Pick up where we left off with our heroes foiling Hasky's plans to try and steal the Dragon Balls. Bulma and Goku fly off on Nimbus to go find the next Dragon Ball, which is firmly in Blue's territory. He's currently searching for it. Arrive. uh, They discover that it's at the bottom of the ocean. They're going to need to figure out some other way to get to the ball. Yeah, so they arrive where they think the Dragon Ball is. They find out that it's underwater. They try to uh, use a capsule to get a submarine to dive and instead find... um, Bulma's dad's porn stash. Uh, that's that's S T A S H, not not mustache. That's just wanted to clarify. <laughs> so they decide that um, they're going to need a little extra help to get this Dragon Ball. And uh, after Goku saves them from a couple of red ribbon nothings, uh, they decide to fly off to see Master Roshi to see if they can maybe borrow a submarine capsule from him. They get to Kami House pretty quickly on Kintoon barter essentially for use of the submarine um in trade for uh bulma's watch that she's been using to shrink herself roshi sees this in action decides he wants to keep it for himself we find out why pretty quickly but uh uh it turns out he doesn't currently have his submarine uh krillin and launch have taken it to the mainland to go shopping uh so they they obviously have to wait for them to come back before they can use it uh while they wait roshi tries to uh, this and it's so terrible. He tries to <laughs> manipulate Bulma to going to the bathroom where he hides while shrunk to try and see her without her pants on. Disgusting. Uh, but he gets what he deserves and he falls in the toilet and gets flushed. Eventually, Krillin and Launch return with the the submarine. They start to discuss uh, where they need to take the submarine to go search for the Dragon Ball. Um, they check the map with Krillin. They discover there was apparently some sort of pirate base in the area or something like that so we get our first whispers of a a pirate treasure meanwhile red ribbon has informed blue that goku is around they ask him to like like go in the general direction of where he is because they've got their own version of a dragon radar uh and scout the area out they discover kami house and um mistake roshi for the genius scientist that developed his dragon radar (laughs) so they come up with this fiendish plot to uh, split Blue's forces into two teams. Two, team A, led by Blue. Team B, led by his right-hand man. I don't remember if he actually mentioned his name or not. I don't think so. Not in the, not in the dub, at least. Uh, well, it's this short, squat, stout little man who has a penchant for whips. So they, they split their forces. Our, our heroes, uh, that is Goku, Krillin, and Bulma, hop in the submarine. They start to go investigate for the Dragon Ball. General Blue's Team A goes to pursue them, while Team B goes to try and capture uh, Kami House. The hero's sub is traveling uh, to the Dragon Ball. Roshi is continuing to be a perv as opposed to 
realizing that he's a terrible person, he should probably do better by trying to do the same thing to launch that he did to Bulma and instead gets sucked up in a vacuum cleaner. While that's all going on, our heroes are finally like down in the like, I guess apparently the submarine flies. It's a plane sub. It's a plane. It's a plane. Marine. I mean, they're 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 all over the place. How have you not heard of these before? <laughs> Uh, but they fly to where the, the Dragon Ball is. They dive down. They send Goku out with some scuba gear. He gets crabs and eventually uh, the, finds... That's, the, that's the, the sea life animal, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and then he finds like the, uh, the this tiny like crack in the, the seafloor uh, that ends up leading to this cave system where our heroes discover, oh, the Dragon Ball is hidden here. At this time, Blue shows up to pressure our heroes to try and uh, capture them before they can uh, get to Dragon Ball. And Team B is essentially landing at Kami House. From there, it's pretty much a bunch of action while our heroes are running away from the enemy sub, getting torpedoed. So with Roshi having successfully defended Kami House, our heroes end up retreating into the cave system, and they end up finding, like, a, I, don't know, I guess, like an air pocket. Mm-hmm. They ditch the sub... And they go to set up an ambush, and Krillin's like, what are you, crazy? They have guns. You know, never mind that, like, these guys can grab bullets out of the air. But... <laughs> so they keep pressing further on into the tunnels. They eventually find a light switch, and it turns out, oh, we've stumbled upon the secret base uh, for the pirates, which means we're going to find the treasure. And everyone's excited and happy, uh, and that's where we leave off at the end of episode 49. Yeah. there, Like you mentioned, there's a lot of lot kind of happening. There's a whole but... lot of, like— Stuff happening simultaneously, but at the same time, like it's it's not progressing very quickly. Right. So, before we get into breaking down our new villain and our topic, we'll talk a little bit about just some general references and kind of culture from these episodes. So, uh, the planes that Goku saves Bulma from are inspired by these bubble-domed helicopters with nose-mounted machine guns featured in the Bond film, You Only Live Twice, where Bond fights these trigger happy machine gunners to save kissy suzuki the bond girl of that or one of the bond girls from that movie who's played by mie hama who was also in a film we mentioned in our episode about the 21st tenkaichi budokai quarterfinals called iron finger which is a toho produced bond spoof film i really like that movie it's a fun like bond spoof more bond references arise as we've mentioned when we were getting into the the red ribbon army in general this would happen but more references arrives when blue is giving orders to his men from this microphone console that he's at it's designed after and looks a lot like the countdown mic system from you only live twice people who haven't seen that movie would honestly probably most recognize that in terms of a pop culture point of reference today in the Austin Powers, when uh, uh, yes. when Doctor Evil has the uh, the character who's doing the alert, alert, alert. <laughs> <laughs> that is a, a riff on "You Only Live Twice" as well. So then there's more Bond though with the scuba diving that that that's featured in this part of the story, which is also featured in "You Only Live Twice," and even more prominently in Thunderball, where. There's these long, protracted underwater underwater battles and action sequences. These are revolutionary filmmaking for their time, so it's no surprise that Toriyama would want to borrow as much as he could, as no doubt being a Bond fan, 
Thunderball's innovative action would have made an impression on him. I'm not a huge fan of Thunderball, but I get the appeal of it and why it was important. It's kind of interesting that one of the Bond films that features scuba diving heavily is the Japan set You Only Live Twice, as Shiro Honda, director of many Godzilla films, as we've mentioned just once or twice before. Hit our quota today. <laughs> was He was actually one of the earliest innovators of underwater film technology. Not for a Godzilla movie, actually, but for his first feature, which is called The Blue Pearl. And it was about these pearl divers working off of the Shima Peninsula. And when I say innovator, I mean innovator. During, during looking into this and some research on earliest feature-length movies that that use a lot of extensive underwater filming i did find that there were like a bunch of you know short films like under 30 to to 20 minutes uh that used a lot of underwater filming kind of prior to this but i only found one instance of a feature length full length film that was not intended to be a straight-up documentary prior to Honda's 1951 film, which was made by an Australian biologist and diver, Hans Haas, in 1947 called Men Among Sharks. Given the way international film distribution worked in those days, it's pretty unlikely that Honda ever saw this movie, and almost certainly he'd have no knowledge of the methods Haas used to do his underwater filming, so... The Blue Pearl is the first Japanese film ever to use underwater filming, and unfortunately, it's never seen a wide release. I don't think it's even on home video in Japan. Like, I don't think if you wanted to see it, you could, you know, import a version of it. I think you have to, like, know someone that has a film print. I mean, I don't purport to have a huge knowledge of movies, but I've definitely never heard of it before, so... (laughs) But anyways, remember a moment ago I mentioned Miehama. Well, she makes an appearance again in our next bit of trivia here as the mini-sub that shoots out of the main sub from the Red Ribbon Army when the area gets too tight is based on basically the exact same thing happening in the film King Kong Escapes, where Miehama plays a villainess named Madame Piranha, which is an awesome name. And she's in league with the evil Doctor Who, spelled H-U, not, you know, an evil version of Doctor Who. (laughs) Um, Which would have been very interesting. (laughs) And they're attempting to take over the world by crafting a mechanical version of Kong to obtain a radioactive isotope called, like, Chemical X or something like that. It's been a minute since I've seen this movie. Uh, And I might mean that literally, like, one minute, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they they want to use it to create WMDs or energy source or something and kind of take over the world. If you like Kaiju and Bond, and especially like old school 60s Bond, and you want a fusion of the two with an added bit of whimsy and feeling like a borderline cartoon brought to life, King Kong Escapes is one of the best movies you could watch in that regard. It's silly fun, but it's a lot of silly fun. So back to Dragon Ball. When Roshi winds up getting flushed down the toilet, he becomes a literal dirty old man. Remember, we've talked a lot about how Japanese view old men who hang out with women by definition as dirty old men. Well, Roshi is now a literal dirty old man. Krillin has reverted 
to wearing his original clothing, his like yellowish orange robes from his you know time as a Shaolin monk, yeah. which is meant to kind of denote that unlike Goku, he's not been keeping up with his turtle hermit training and he's he's been slacking a little bit in his in his Shugyo. The leader of Team B, the, or the B team that attacks Roshi, is modeled after Heinrich Himmler. Only Toriyama makes him fat rather than thin because you got to throw some Toriyama subversion in there. This is just more Red Ribbon Army as Nazi stand-in material. Interesting note is if you look around the Red Ribbon Army and all the characters that are surrounding Blue as his henchmen, there's a lot of animals. Toriyama was asked about this once, you know, why? Why are there so many animals prone to being evil henchmen in the dragon world? And his response is, quote, it's a pain to draw different looking humans, unquote. <laughs> Classic Toriyama. So there you have it. I'm sure it's, it's again, that's that combination of, as we talked about, he thinks all his female characters look the same, look the same. So it's that classic Toriyama laziness, but also certainly tinged with a hint of his self-consciousness about his abilities, right? To, to draw a lot of different looking people. So straight from the man himself, it's just a pain to try to draw different looking humans. Uh, we've got also a few more Journey to the West inspirations. Bulma is attacked by planes and needs rescuing. That's a reference to how Xuanzang constantly is attacked by demons or monsters, and she needs uh, he needs Sun Wukong to save the day. We talked about that a lot, too, during the, the peel-off arc, how that's sort of Bulma's role here. She's the, the stand-in for Xuanzang. And also, the underwater cave system has inspirational ties to a story in journey to the west where sun wukong spends time in the realm of the dragon king so that's kind of where that all comes from and speaking of underwater kingdoms and inspirational points that brings us to general blue the man himself he's yet uh he's yet another indicator as general white was that the color naming convention of the red ribbon army are more than just simple colors but that they also reveal something about the character or his setting white was in a snowy tundra Blues in an underwater setting. It's also, shocker, the complete opposite of the setting of Muscle Tower, being bright, tropical, and summery, which is also a contrast with the ideas typically spawned by invoking the color blue, which is typically like melancholy or sadness. Uh, we got contrasts on contrasts on contrasts. But Blue himself is the ideal ubermensch. He's the ultimate Aryan with blue eyes and blonde hair. He's a bit of a repurposed Dr. Slump character in terms of face and hair. Uh, the final antagonist of the story, Dirtz Kibbolt, and I think I said that right, his clothing's modeled after the German brown shirts who were the initial stormtroopers of Hitler's army and the predecessors of the SS. Uh, furthering his Nazi influence are the spread eagle on his belt, his uh, calf-high jackboots, uh, which were both synonymous with Nazis. Also, some of his language is tinged ever so slightly with German and SS slang, uh, such as calling Goku and Bulma specifically a group. Uh, as that was what the SS referred to their teams of 10 or fewer, uh, which just kind of further drives the comparison point home. His speech patterns, though, are effeminate. Once again, as many other things in the show, uh, something easier to pick up on in the original Japanese is he's using a lot of pronouns and modifiers to words that women typically use in Japanese to soften their speech. The English equivalent would be almost driving up an inflection point at the end of the sentence – uh, so that everything sounds like it's a cute question. 
His Japanese voice actor also <laughs> typically voice high pitched female voice characters in previous roles. <laughs> he also has an affinity for prettier things such as roses, often holds them daintily, and is very neat and concerned about his personal beauty. Also, as well as uh, the cleanliness of his men as well. There's a point very early on in his introduction where he has a man executed for picking his nose yes. and then orders somebody else to sanitize his workstation. What does all this mean? Well, a few episodes from now, Toriyama will unveil his punchline to the character. It's hard to pick up on in the translations of the anime, but in the manga, and even the translated manga, they make it pretty plain. At one point, Bulma will nuzzle up to Blue because, as always, Bulma's easily swayed by a pretty face and a good body. Blue recoils in disgust, and Bulma says, whoa, that didn't work? He must be gay. Blue reacts with quite a bit of rage, almost as if overcompensating. Bulma tries to nuzzle up against Blue once again, and the man says he's going to be sick. There it is. Despite outwardly being the platonic ideal of a red ribbon army soldier, and more to the point, a member of Hitler's SS, General Blue is gay. Blue himself never says so, but it's unmistakable in the context of the story when you put all the pieces together, many of which are outlined directly here, such as the mannerisms and speech. But then also when you contextualize everything in Toriyama terms, of course, Blue would outwardly be everything an ideal Nazi should be, but then inwardly be the type of person Hitler would want to wipe off the face of the earth. This is a Toriyama story. We've talked about this extensively, about how much the man loves his contrasts and contradictions. Furthermore, there's going more specifically to the Japanese language itself. Bulma isn't the only one who calls Blue gay. Krillin does too. But it's only Bulma who gets under Blue's skin when she, go when she does so. Why is this? Well, because the word Bulma uses when she calls him gay is a slur. Uh, and there's probably a couple different examples you can think of in English. I'm not going to say it. It's very rude. I'm not going to do it. But yeah. essentially, it's, that's she's calling him a bad name, and that's why the, the over overreaction. And, of course, a gay man would be offended by a slur used against him. It's, it's, it's an unfortunate uh, slur, slang term. I'll leave it at that. It's a term I unfortunately will I'll 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 self cancel here. I used to use when we were when we were growing up and we were kids. It was a thing that meant that that you just said to people, right? Uh, and it, it, this is a, one of those things where like it was you say it was a different time, and clearly as I have gotten older and I have become more enlightened, those words are no longer part of my vocabulary. Yes, absolutely. The Office did it. Did an episode about or an episode damn near about that word. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but wouldn't it be odd though to have a gay man prominently in a in a role in a gay hating group? And before we get down the red the the rabbit hole of people being like, "Who's the Red Ribbon Army really gay hating?" Just just briefly note that when Krillin calls Blue gay, he does so while marveling that a gay man would be in the Red Ribbon Army. Which suggests that in the universe of Dragon Ball, the Red Ribbon Army has a known policy against gay people. So even more of that, they're the Nazis, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, history, though, in fact, Nazi history has already set a precedence for having gay people in gay-hating groups. One of the co-founding members of the precursor to the SS, which I think was called like the SA was Ernst Röhm, a man who was well-known among inter the inter-Nazi party for being best friends with Hitler, 
who ostracized and murdered gays, and gay himself. In fact, many of Rome's officers were gay as well, and Hitler made an exception for them because he felt their usefulness as warriors outweighed their sexual preferences. Rome was ultimately executed when Heinrich Himmler fabricated a supposed coup against Hitler by Rome, and Hitler then redoubled his efforts to purge gays from among the Nazi ranks. Now, does Toriyama know any of this specifically in those terms? Again, probably not explicitly, but he is actually a World War II history enthusiast. So the general story of the irony and and maybe kind of twisted humor that Hitler was friends with and surrounded by gays while pursuing their extermination may have made its way to Toriyama in, in general terms. I mean, I think anyone who's, you know, steeped in that even a little bit kind of picks up on some of those things. You know, he may have had a, a black man working with him or a Jewish man working with him and, and things like that to meet his he was an ends justify the means person right so and and there are some parallels to other political figures being involved with gay individuals when while publicly maybe having anti-gay stances we're probably not going to get into that though but there's also like the, the 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 stereotype of uh like a closeted homosexual person hating homosexuals is is a it, it's not an appropriate trope but it does exist. It is out there. So it's not impossible that it maybe just popped in his head as well. Right. So as a result of all of this, Blue is one of the most complicated characters in Dragon Ball. And we'll meet others for sure who push the envelope of what's considered acceptable. <coughs> Mr. Popo. <coughs> uh, but Blue is right up there with the most problematic. So I'm not looking forward to talking about Mr. Popo. <laughs> so let's talk about it uh, a little bit. You know, I mean, you know, I think I did this in the last episode too. Peek behind the curtain here. This episode's being recorded way ahead of time. Now, in a weird way, it might actually still be relevant. It might even only be end up being a month or two ahead of time, but we're recording this during Pride Month. It's true. So matter of fact, matter of fact, my wife and I are going to uh, pride events tomorrow. Oh, I'm going to a swim meet. So, uh, but yeah, we're, we're recording this during, during pride month. And it's a, it's a interesting topic to discuss because Japan has never been much of a leader in gay rights. And if you break this down into the very basics of it, you know, I was, Mentioning to some friends in a in a message thread today, hey, I'm going to be recording an episode tonight about General Blue, the, the gay character from Dragon Ball. And one of my friends who doesn't know Dragon Ball was like, they let gay people be in a Japanese show? And I was like, yeah, because the joke is, ha ha, the villain is gay. And he was like, oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> Just a little bit, and it is. I mean, that's that's the 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 reality is that it's it's an unfortunate sort of decision. But I'll say again, this is one of those we we mentioned just a moment ago. You know, once your vocabulary expands and you drop those words from your vocabulary, but it was a different time. Well, it was also a different time 
you know, in the eighties living in Japan, making that kind of joke, it's not intended. And I, and I really think if you, if you really watch this, it's never a joke about gays. Like blue is never, the joke is not really that he's gay. The, the joke is he's not inwardly what he appears to be outwardly. I also think a little bit of the joke is, is, um, kind of playing on the fact that like Bulma can't attract a man. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's, it's using stereotypes and they are some unfortunate stereotypes. You, you could read it too. If, if you, if you want to feel a little bit better about it, although I don't know that it, it hits this level. Like, I don't think this was ever really personally the intention, but you could read it as like, you're poking fun at the Nazis. You know, the idea that one could be, so intolerant while being one of the things you claim to hate so much and being kind of stereotypically one of those things that you hate claim to hate so much because that is I don't know that that's personally the intention in this but that is kind of a trope of a lot of these kinds of characters that are used throughout fiction in general you've got a lot of like a, a pretty good example a decent not great, but a decent corollary in uh, in a recent movie is in X-Men Days of Future Past when Peter Dinklage is playing Trask and he is, you know, this, he hates mutants and wants everything to be for humans alone. But Peter Dinklage is a, is a, a little person. Like he is, he is himself something off of the normal ideal human if you'll allow me to say that right that's that that is a a trope though that's used in storytelling is you know like my daughter and i are currently reading uh volume one of wonder woman written by i believe greg rucka did i mention this on the i feel like i mentioned this on the last episode i think you might have quickly in passing yes and there is a character in that who despises Wonder Woman and her whole thing is she's trying to mudsling Wonder Woman and tear her down and if you just notice I said it's she she Mm -hmm. hates Wonder Woman and another character is like you're both like strong independent women who want women to learn to stand up for themselves like why do you hate her so much you are Oh, in a in a lot of ways, like the platonic ideal of what she kind of wants people to be. How could you hate that so much? And you know, the answer kind of comes back of, well, she didn't earn it, and uh, she has a lot of I don't want to say good reasons for hating Wonder Woman, but she has like a rationale to her. And right. I just think that's a that's like a a parallel here. Like that sort of storytelling is still done. the The idea of this person sort of being a prominent member of a group that wants to tear down a, a thing while being that thing themselves. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think, I do think, I think that's more the joke. Yeah. I, I think it's more the, the hypocrisy and then also the dig at Bulma a little bit. Yeah. Um, that's really kind of the thrust of that joke because it doesn't really, come up in any other like his own men don't like make comments about it like it's just those those two specific instances where it's explicitly brought up he doesn't talk about it himself 
I mean, let's be honest, the tone that he sets as as a, a commander is a pretty brutal one, too, on top of that. <laughs> Just and, executing dudes for, for even the smallest mistakes. And Krillin doesn't mock him for being gay. He's He is nonplussed that a member of the Red Ribbon Army would be gay. But he doesn't, you know, he's not like, ha ha, you're gay, you know, like that's never yeah, the it's joke. More the, it's more the contradiction that he seems hung okay. up on than anything else. I'll say the th- the thing about him being gay that kind of ends up being the the more unfortunate thing is that you then also play a lot on him being very concerned about his uh, his physical appearance and specifically his face. Yeah. So like later when he gets in a fight with Krillin and Krillin like punches him in the face, he's like, "Oh my f- beautiful beautiful face." That gets into that like stereotypey. This is not a good usage of that <laughs> yeah it's it's a little um, it gets a little worse going yeah. forward and then i mean let's let's jump ahead a bit quite a bit in a lot of ways mannerisms even even f- kind of facial features and design uh, weiss is very much a similar character as blue wouldn't you say? Yeah. So do you think that is the Dragon Ball team having sort of progressed a little bit and shown that, you know, Japanese society has progressed a little bit, that a character who... Now, Whis has never hinted at being gay the way Blue is, but he just... He's more effeminate definitely has like a dainty sort of way about him uh, but is that is that a way of them trying to show some progression of like hey you know we're I mean like you said it's I don't it's not explicitly stated whether he is or is not gay so really it's kind of up to the 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 viewer's interpretation mm-hmm. and if you're making that interpretation I think that's more shining a light on hey maybe maybe you should update your method of thinking because, because like the, the 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 mannerisms themselves aren't necessarily indicative of anything. Yeah. So I think if he did turn out to be what would be, I guess, straight for beings like him, <laughs> um, just having a character that has those mannerisms that is not the the stereotypical gay character, I think would be progress. Right. Just because, yeah, like if they did it. If they did it again, that would be that would be probably showing. No, we haven't really moved on from where we were in Dragon Ball back in the eighties. It's weird. I almost feel like they. I feel like they would at least think they were though, right? Because it's that. It's the. It's the like, corporate version of. It's it's like the office's version of. No, I don't hate gays. See, I made a it's gay. Like, it's like all the companies coming out with pride. Uh, yeah. Promotions. Yeah, it's 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 I don't I don't hate gay. See, I made a gay be Goku's mentor in this in this round. You know, like mm-hmm. there's a pretty pretty timely quote I saw from was it Ditko who who created I think it was Ditko who created Black Panther. Like I just I saw it today. I Think that was Ditko. I, um, I'm pulling off the top of my head, so I could be wrong, but I think it was Ditko. And and I I only I, I'm only thinking of it because I just saw it. It just sort of tangentially relates to what I was just saying, but just the 
the mentality of like patting yourself on the back while at the same time you sound like you don't still quite get it. Like his quote was like, I looked around the industry and I saw that nobody was doing blacks. So I wanted to do a black. I have a friend who is a black and you're like, yeah, that's (laughs) that. Yeah. Reading that is very jarring. Also, we got it wrong. I just looked it up. It was Stanley and Jack Kirby collaborated oh, to create the character. The the quote was from Kirby then, because I know it wasn't from Stanley. Yeah, but just the way the way that like the language and the verbiage of being like, oh look, I did a good thing, but while also being like, yes, yeah, like okay, that's not what we say anymore. It's like, <laughs> it's like two step forward, two steps forward, one step back type thing. Yeah, and that's that would that would be my opinion of Weiss if they wind up. I don't know, outing him as gay, I guess. I, I, I don't think that character has sexuality. I mean, I, I'm of the opinion that, like, especially for, for like, an animated show, uh, if it's not important to the plot, I don't think it ever needs to be brought up explicitly. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I personally, I, I'm thinking they're probably never going to reveal I don't, it. Yeah, I don't think they ever will reveal it, but, I you know, that I think that would be my opinion of it. If, if they did, it would be, like, sort of a... This is steps forward while taking steps backward at the same time. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, good for you. You you made a, a gay person be Goku's mentor, but he's still a stereotype. Like, that's not. <laughs> yeah, that's not great. Not Using great stereotypes all. in a positive way is still. <laughs> it's still bad. <laughs> yeah. It's like that. There's like that, that scale of representation that goes from like. There's like the out and out bad of like using a stereotype and painting an awful picture with it. And then there's like the using the stereotype, but in a positive way. Yeah. And then there's like the using the character, but the fact that they're gay or whatever does not actually matter or anything, which is or does not really play into it, which is like a lot of what Marvel movies do, quite frankly. Yeah. Where they just have like one throwaway line of dialogue where a character will be like, I like guys too. And you're like, okay. It's it's so they can easily edit that shit out for China. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> then you have the 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 positive representation of like, oh, this like again, just because I'm my head is on the MCU, even though I didn't really like the movie, the Eternals has a character who has a happy home life with his husband. Yes. And it is a, a pretty important part of the character, but it's also never given a, a stereotype to it. Like, it never has that kind of vibe to it. It just is part of his identity. Sure, yeah. And and that that's kind of more what I'm talking about. Like, shh, that's, we need more of that. <laughs> yes. I don't know that we need it in Dragon Ball. I... I well, I'm no, torn. probably not in Dragon Ball, but... but... I'm... I, I'm torn. I wouldn't be against it, right? You know, so many of the characters are in uh, hetero relationships, right? Especially Goku. now in, in Super, yeah. Goku has a wife. Vegeta has a wife. Krillin has a wife. Gohan has a wife. I think Android 18 has a wife, doesn't he? He at least talks about one. I think he means 17. Yes, Unless, unless, wait a minute, maybe, maybe 18 got really woke. Maybe there's, there's a polyamory <laughs> thing going on. I don't know. But no, yeah, 17 has a wife. Mr. Satan had a wife. She, like, all these characters are in hetero. I wouldn't, like, I would not mind at all if they were like, they wound up being like, yeah, Broly and his boyfriend, there they go. You know, like, you just had a moment of that. I wouldn't really care. I, I, 
I mean, I'm, they're they're already halfway there with Mr. Satan and Boo being hetero life mates. I'm shipping that now. <laughs> I I think it could do some good to have that happen in in Dragon Ball. Actually, if you go to some of the the more unfortunate parts of the fandom that exist on social media, there's a lot of people who in their fantasy fights be like, oh, One Punch Man couldn't beat Goku because he's a some sort of homosexual slur, you know, homophobic comment. And you're like, what the, what are you doing? <laughs> you know? So there's a, there's an unfortunate contingent of the fandom still. And I think throwing things like that in casually helps to weed some of those people out sometimes. I mean, you know, and nobody will miss them in the long run. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm not opposed to it. In fact, go Mr. Satan. I mean, you know, it, it comes down to whatever the writer wants to do is what they're going to do. Yeah, that's that's blue is to my knowledge and memory really the only the only kind of out and out gay character. I don't know that there's any character in Dragon Ball that we can celebrate for pride, unfortunately. Although Vegeta, he's a man of great pride. <laughs> If, and if that's horrifyingly offensive, I apologize. I just, I'm grasping at straws now. Yes, if you're listening and this is and this is uh, uh, offending you, please forgive us. We are we are absolutely allies. We we love the community and we want to see it uh, continue to prosper. So please. Yeah. Please trust us when we say this is coming from the best of places. And if we have gotten some terminology wrong, or if you feel like we phrased something terribly. Let us know. We're we're yeah. not above changing our our uh, behavior to uh, to make ourselves more palatable. Exactly. And yeah, like I said, I would be I'd be totally down for seeing LGBTQIA plus character appear in Dragon Ball. And I guess you know that's the one thing. I guess you could when you start getting into the 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 TIA plus part of it. I mean, um. Some of these characters... It? Dragon Ball Z Abridged actually did a fantastic job with this during the, the, the Namek storyline uh, with Deborah and Zarbon. Oh, yeah? Yeah, there was... Um, so Deborah, the way that the name is spelled is actually very similar to the, a woman's name, Deborah. So, like, everyone assumes Deborah is male, but she is, in fact, female in that oh. version. And then Zarbon is uh, probably not a very favorable uh, interpretation of somebody who's gay. Okay. Um, yeah, I could see that. But he he is uh, coded as gay as a character. So, you know, there are no female Namekians. That is true. So I can't believe we missed that. Yes, that's true. And, and I believe they're also asexual. So Piccolo would have to be an ally. So we have sure. we have uh we have our our LGBTQIA character. He's ace. Yes. There you go. Piccolo. Woohoo! Happy Pride Month to Piccolo. And we can plaster his we can plaster his uh, uh picture with a rainbow flag on our <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> like no, I already but... did with Vegeta. <laughs> I'm probably I'm probably uh, edging towards uh, terrible territory again. I apologize. He's a super popular character. 
Indeed. Very well loved by the very well loved by the fandom and the community. And he's good representation because he's a better father than Goku. <laughs> but so yes, um as B Kitty mentioned, we are we consider ourselves allies and we you know we'll say uh, we just like, are trying to contextualize, I guess, everything about Blue and this character, right? Because yeah. we're going to be hanging out with him for at least a few more episodes. I think uh, it's his last appearance somewhere around, like, somewhere around episode 58 to 60, somewhere in that range. Uh, yeah, that's a pretty good uh, pretty good run for a minor character. Yeah, and then and then we get into... Uh, Commander Red and Mercenary Tau or Tau Pai Pai, however you prefer to refer to that character. Mercenary Tau. That character is one of my favorite things in terms of in terms of the laws of physics. I don't mind doing this now because we'll, it'll be probably two or three episodes before we repeat this. But where he where he breaks the pillar and throws it, and then jumps. oh yeah yeah. And then jumps, and jumps on the on pillar top of it. that he throws. If you could jump far and fast enough to land on top exactly. of a thing that you would throw. <laughs> you could already jump further faster than the exactly. thing you threw. <laughs> <laughs> it's like perfect for the character too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, I think that's all I've got to say about all of this, about General Blue. Yeah, I, I think that uh, that taps me out as well. Okay. See now, Bikini. Despite my perception of reality slipping, we, or I, just had a thoughtful discussion. Boy, I, I sure hope this doesn't wear off as I continue to recuperate from our battle. I could squeeze at least another season out of this. You know, if I were less exhausted after all those bloodline annihilation fists, I'd have flown to you already and proven I'm alive. And also if you were real. Don't forget that. Right. Well, listeners, that about wraps us up for the day. How will I continue to delude myself into believing Bikini is talking to me in order to continue providing me with content? Ugh. Can't you just use your scouter to hone in on my location and come get me already? Will this delusion lapse once I've fully healed? Will Lord Frieza find me a new co-host? I hope not, considering I am still alive. Find out next time and help us achieve our final forum. is written and produced by Tom Gwelly. It is performed by Dan Kinney and Tom Gwelly. Our webmaster is Dan Kinney. Our theme music is provided by YouTube content creator GVG Kit. Want to learn more about the Dragon Ball universe, including concept art, behind-the-scenes interviews, and recommendations from Jelly and Bikini? Connect with us on social media. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Final Forum Pod. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you receive your podcasts. And of course, make sure to share with your friends and family and help us spread the word of the glory of Lord Frieza. 
The Frieza Force thanks you for your listenership. 